0: It's always good to see people moving about and greeting each other. I was trying to get back here early enough before you sat down so that you wouldn't get too comfortable before rising for our uh, scripture reading. So please rise with me <laughs> a little too late, but my apologies. Scripture reading is from Psalms, chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God its course with joy its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the lord is pure enlightening enlightening the eyes innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from this presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. By way of the psalmist, these are the words of our Lord Almighty. Please be seated. All
1: right. Good morning, everyone. All right. Um, Really is exciting to see what the Lord is doing in our midst, and uh, just to be able to launch out this team to India, and this will be the first of many uh, mission trips to come, and uh, several actually for this year. But we pray that the Lord will continue to, uh, as Pastor Rick mentioned, to make us a sending church uh, that we're not measured by the success of our church is not measured by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity, and that's really our prayer as a church, uh, that we would be more and more um, just courageous and bold to go wherever the Lord would send us to to, uh, to go, so uh, I'm going to ask us to just uh, pray one more time, and uh, let's go ahead and come before the Lord and ask Him to just open our hearts to His Word. so let's uh, please join me. Father, we are so thankful for your word. This word to us is more precious than gold and silver. Lord, we desire to know you. We desire to know your words. And Lord, as we come before you right now, as we hear your word, we ask that you would open our hearts. Lord, cause us to be servants of your word. Cause us to have hearts that would worship you because your word. praise you, God. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart might be acceptable, and pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So for past uh, several Sundays, past several Sundays, uh, we've been going through this uh, series on discipleship and uh, what it means to follow Jesus. And the past few messages in particular, I've been talking about. The practices or the spiritual disciplines that a follower of Jesus commits to on a day-by-day basis. And today, this morning, we want to focus really on what does it mean to love God's word as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus. Uh, I shared with some some of you that when I was in college, my discipler uh, pulled out a napkin, and this was in the Navigator's ministry, and. He pulled out this napkin, drew this wheel illustration and it was a very simple diagram for me to have a helpful and healthy framework for what it means to center my life on Jesus. And so we talked about this wheel illustration. And the question is, how do we keep Christ at the center always in our life? How do we continue to make him uh, the Lord and to center our hearts on him? And So there are four major spokes in this wheel illustration. And we talked about the vertical spokes. So this is the Word of God in prayer. And a follower of Jesus is constantly, constantly learning how to consume God's Word and to cultivate his or her prayer life with with God. To go deeper in prayer with the Lord. But then we also talked about the horizontal spokes, and this has to do with our relationships with others, and the two main ways that we relate to other people is through community or fellowship, and then through witnessing. And we talked about what an act to community would look like as followers of Jesus. What does it mean to live in biblical community with one another? Well, today, I want to especially focus on this aspect of the Word, The Word of God. To follow Jesus by loving God's Word. And the idea that I want to really convey to you this morning is, I think, really simple. As we look at Psalm 19, I think the the main idea is that we can know God afar through the wonders of His creation, through what He's made but we can only really know God personally through his word. And that is why his word is so precious to us. I'm going to share with you three points, major points. First of all, we can know God about we can know about God through creation. Secondly, that we can know God personally through his word, and third that we must consume God's word daily. And at the end, I'm going to give us what I believe will be a very practical application to this. But first of all, as we look at Psalm 19, go back to this. We see David, King David, who wrote this, and how he talks about knowing God through what he has made. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, that Heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. And this idea of heavens and the Jewish concept was that it referred to the skies, the stars, all of that. Um, but then the idea of heaven also could include where, the place where God dwells. But here he is clearly talking about God's creation, that we can know God through what he has made. But notice in Psalm 19, all the words that David uses to describe God's creation. Uh, this, these words uh, personify, and they're very poetic but very clearly talk about who God is. He uses words like declares, all of creation declares, it proclaims, it it pours forth speech and their voice goes out. And these words are very clear and vivid descriptions to describe how when you look at all of the universe and the beauty of this world, it screams and it proclaims the beauty, the glory, the wonder of who God is. This great artist who's powerful, beautiful, and majestic. That's a language that we see here. Now, I don't know how many guys, uh, do you guys love being outdoors? How many guys are outdoorsy kind of people? All right. Uh, Most of us, I think, or half of us, or some of us are like more indoorsy, study types or whatever, right? Maybe. Uh, But I I love being outdoors. Uh, I love just riding my bike out. I love hiking and all of that, and once in a while when I'm outdoors and I see uh, just the heavens and I see the skies, and you've had this experience too, you just are awed, right? You're stunned by the beauty of what you see, right? And I remember this one time, uh, this was last year, and next slide please, if you can, um, so Mimi and I, we were, yeah, slide over, <laughs> so that we were Oh, okay, they didn't get the latest update, that's okay. Um, but I want to show you this beautiful picture of when we were in uh, Lake Tahoe, and it's one thing for me to, to describe it, but um, it's just it's just amazing uh, picture Is we're just sitting there, and we're seeing the sun and the clouds and all over the, the lake, and and when you've had that experience, all you can do is just stand there, and you're just in awe. You're just stunned and there's nothing you can really say because you're just taking in the scene. And I think this is what David is experiencing in this psalm, like this, uh, the amazement of God's creation. Theologians will refer to this as general revelation. This general revelation is a revelation that God has revealed himself to all peoples everywhere through what he has made. And if you look just simply at creation, It's very difficult to deny that there is this creator who's powerful and beautiful. Paul talks about it in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, that God has clearly revealed himself in what has been created so that men are without excuse. Uh, If you just look at the intricacies of our universe and our world, how can you not acknowledge the reality of who God is? And almost all of, throughout all history, except maybe just in the past 200 years in Western civilization, but throughout history, cultures throughout the world have always acknowledged and worshipped some form of higher power or or acknowledged that. And so this is what the psalmist is showing us. Creation is beautiful. It does point to God. However, David, in verses 7 to 11, he's going to tell us something that even though we can know about God through creation, what he's made, we can only know God personally through his word. In verses 7 to 11, this is what he gets at. You can know a lot about God just by looking at this world. He is beautiful. He is good. He's artistic, he's creative, he's powerful, all of these things. But it's impossible to know God personally just by admiring creation alone. I can saying that I know God just by creation alone is like saying that I know Van Gogh because I've seen his paintings. Or that you know, I know Michael Jackson because I've done his moonwalk dance or I've listened to his music or um, you know I, I know about Hugh Jackman because I've watched his movies right you can know certain things about a person through their work but it doesn't mean that you know them personally and this is what David tells us so verses 7 to 11 David goes on to say that there's a far more powerful way to know God verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. If you notice in verse 7, this is actually In contrast to verse 1, David uses two different names of God in this psalm. In verse 1, David says, the heavens declared the glory of God. And the term for God here in verse 1 is this Hebrew term Elohim. So this idea that God is powerful. But in verse 7, all of a sudden, David switches and he uses the name Elohim. Uh, Y-H-W-H or what we know as Yahweh to describe who God is. Yahweh is a very covenantal name that God gave to his people Israel that this is how you will know me in a personal way. And so David is contrasting that you can know God, his power from afar but now he gets more intimate. The law of Yahweh is perfect, and it revives the soul. How do we know this God? Through the law of the Lord. This is what he's getting at. In fact, he uses this term Yahweh seven times in the next seven verses, the rest of the psalm. David is saying, I hear God's voice through the wonder of nature, but now I'm getting to know more of God's heart and his face through his word. John Calvin put it this way, but he says, from nature, we know only the hands and feet of God. But from Scripture, we know his heart. This is how he puts it. And each term in verses 7 to 11 is a cinnamon, a a different cinnamon that David uses to describe God's word. So, for example, he uses the term law. And this term law, the Hebrew word Torah, it is the first five books of the Bible, but it's the comprehensive term to describe Scripture, God's revelation to us. And then he uses the words precepts and commandment. And these words describe the nature of God's word to us, that they are authoritative, they are binding, that we are moral creatures who must give account to who this God is. We are not free to determine our own Life that we must give account to Him and we submit our lives to God. He uses the term ordinance to describe God's wisdom to us that when we follow God's word and scripture, it's actually very good for you, it's actually good for mankind, for human flourishing. And together, that these words describe it's a comprehensive description that God has given us everything. That we need to truly know him all through Scripture, through His word. Scripture alone is sufficient. It is enough for us to know, worship and serve this living God. And how does this word speak to us? It speaks in several different ways uh, verses seven to nine talk about. So the word of God, it is perfect, it says, and it revives the soul. That God's word has this complete power to reconcile people to himself. The hearing of God's word is a, is a hear and are convicted as a bring their hearts in submission to God's word that we can, it revives our soul, brings us into this intimate relationship with him that it makes, it's sure, it makes wise the simple. And the wisdom of knowing who Jesus is Uh, The Word of God describes that the foolishness of God is much, much greater than the wisdom, the greatest wisdom of man. And that it doesn't matter if the most uneducated person who knows Jesus through his Word is far smarter and far wiser than the Harvard PhD that doesn't know who God is. It makes wise the simple. It is right and it gives joy to the heart in verse 8. God's Word is a life-giving truth, and it brings true joy and hope to our hearts. This is the power of God's Word. It gives light to the eyes. It illumines our understanding of who He is. God's Word, and, and it, it corrects our thinking, our attitudes, our speech. It, corrects, it shows us truth and error, and it does all of these things to us. But the Bible's own testimony of itself, it endures forever. It's true. It's righteous. In verse 9 this is the power of God's word to us. The power to truly transform from the inside out and to cause us to know and to worship this God. So many different descriptions of it. And it's almost as if David can't come up with enough descriptions to describe the power of God to us. But then verses 12 to 14, we're getting. David really gets into, or verses 10 to 14, he describes that we must really be consuming God's word. David expresses his love and his, how he treasures God's word. And because of that, uh, he, he consumes it. And we must learn to consume God's word on a daily basis. He says in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Uh, David uses this word gold to describe the most precious commodity in the ancient world. Nothing more precious than gold. And his attitude to the word of God is that this word, this scripture that's been given to me, to us, is far more valuable than the most precious thing that this world can ever offer. Um, it's, it's greater than anything else. It's sweeter than honey it, than the drippings of the honeycomb. This is far more satisfying than you know the, the, the greatest meal that's out there. You know we, We're a foodie culture and we love our food, but for, for David, he saw that God's word was far more satisfying than the most satisfying meal. Uh, the Bible, The word of God is more and more satisfying as you engage it as you consume God's word someone said you know what do I someone asked a while ago I don't have much of an appetite for God's word so what do I do and this person is a committed follower of Christ but they were very honest I just don't have a great hunger for the Word of God. So what do I do? And my advice for this person and for all of us is this. The way you grow an appetite for God's Word is to be in God's Word, actually. Um, You don't wait until you have this great hunger for God's Word to then go into God's Word. You actually cultivate a hunger for God's Word by being in God's Word, even if you don't feel it at the time and that's how we cultivate our hunger for it and as we do actually the bible becomes more and more satisfying it really does how many of you have ever spent time in god's word and you go into it and then afterward you just think well that was just a waste of time do you ever feel that way i don't think so right but how many of us sometimes have maybe gone into, like, you know, we've watched all this Netflix, right, or YouTube or whatever. It's like, oh, man, that was, yeah, that was not a good use of my time. Right? <laughs> I see some of that. Ooh, that's a little too close, right? Um, yeah. But God's Word, as we go into God's Word, we never feel like it's a waste. We always feel like that was good. I'm so glad I went to God's Word. We always feel that way. And that's what scripture does. If you look throughout history, Christians historically have seen the value of scripture and they have been willing to even give up their very life to have access to God's word or to enable others to have access to God's word. William Tyndale was burned at the stake because he wanted to make the Word of God more accessible to the English-speaking world, and he was willing to give his life to say, this Word is so important, I'm willing to die at the stake if need be. Christians throughout China, Eastern Europe, just even in the past 30 years, there are missionaries who have risked their lives to smuggle bibles to different parts of eastern europe china wherever where there is a scarcity of god's word because they know that only this word has the power to revive the soul only this word has is is the true revelation of who god is that people can know who god is the, the greatest hope that we need and christians throughout china have also been willing to go to prison, to be tortured, to even give up their life because they had a copy of scripture in their possession, in their home. I remember I had the privilege of meeting uh, one of the, uh, yeah, one of the the godliest men that that I had met. and as I heard his testimony story, by I had the uh, you know, great privilege of meeting this person. His name is Chaplain Cecil Richardson. And at the time, he was a colonel. Uh, but eventually, he became the chief of chaplains of the United States Air Force. And Chaplain Richardson told me his story of how he used to be a very violent man. And be- before he came to Christ... Uh, he used to just have this uncontrollable rage and anger, and it would just explode at any second. He could not control that, and uh, even one particular instance where he shared, like, he, would, he grabbed this airman that he was enraged at. He literally beat him. After he beating him, he put him on top of a table. He took a hot iron, and he started ironing his back with the hot iron. Now, if you look at him, he... You know, he he looks like a very gentle, uh, rather uh, meek-looking man just from this picture. You would not guess that. And it is a power of Christ that has transformed him, that has brought him to repentance and completely made him into this. And as you just talk with him, I mean, he's just just a very very kind of mild-mannered, meek type of person doesn't come off, you know, with this air or this presence like that. But God has used him in very, very significant ways and one of the most powerful things about Chaplain Richardson was this, that he was an extremely intelligent man. He was a very fast reader. He, I think, had a photographic memory and, but more so, he had just a strong, strong appetite for the Word of God. And so his testimony was that he walked into church one day He heard the gospel, and he gave his life to Jesus. And as he gave his life to Jesus, God just turned his life around. But then from day one, as a follower of Jesus, he had such a voracious appetite for the word of God that he just went directly into it, starting from Genesis 1, and just read straight through. By the time he was done with Revelation, it had only been six days. He read the Bible straight through in six days. He kept doing this as a habit. So, in the first couple of years, first two years, as a Christian, he read through the Bible over 50 times from cover to cover. I mean, to be honest with you, he put me to shame. right? Uh, but there are not, yeah, there are not many Christians I know who have done, who have read the Bible from cover to cover 50 times in the first two years of just being a Christian. But he this man was just so consumed with the word of God and he knew what it meant to just surrender his life to Jesus and God then used this man in such a powerful way in extremely influential ways throughout the Air Force to the point where he eventually became chief of chaplains of of the Air Force but this was a work of God in his life and he is someone who was consumed with his God through his word and i want to ask us this do we find god's word so precious to us so precious that we find it more satisfying than anything else is is our heart attitude to the word of god do we want to consume god's word Verse eleven to twelve, David says. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great re- reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. The power of God's word, he's describing here, is this power that God's word can can cor- correct him, can warn him, can keep him in the p- proper boundaries, but it can also help him discern his errors, uh, these hidden faults things that people don't see on the outside about our lives, but as we read God's word, God's word searches our hearts and begins to convict, and we know, oh, Lord, yes, this here, here's an area that no one else sees, but it's just you. You see it, and your word has searched, searched my heart, and now I bring it before you in repentance and confession. This is what God's word does. And then verse 13 to 14 David said, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. God's word had the power. It's the language of actually Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 where um, God tells Cain that sin is trying to, is knocking at the door and it's trying to rule over you. It's seeking to master you, but you must master it. And it's the same language of this dominion that David is using here in verse 13 to say that sin will seek to take dominion over our lives. But the only thing that could keep us free from sin's power and dominion is to be in his word. God's word literally has a power to keep us away from sin and to allow it to fester and to control us as we are pursuing his word. I was sharing with the Eureka kids on Friday night. We're having this Q&A session, and you know, I was just sharing with them very honestly that I know that this is very true in my life. Uh, When I am not actively in God's Word on a daily basis, I am not a pleasant person to be around, and I could be very short. I could be overly sensitive. I could be irritable, impatient, I could be rude, I could be all of those things if I'm not actively in God's Word. But God's Word, as I'm actively pursuing God's Word, I find that it is a power that keeps me, that keeps me from becoming that kind of person. And uh, this is what God's Word does. Well, David here, as he goes into God's Word, He found great joy in knowing God through his word. Tremendous joy and tremendous satisfaction. And what's interesting is this. Paul, in Romans chapter 10, verse 18, he actually quotes David here in Psalm chapter 19, verse 4. And in Romans 10, Paul says, Did they, Israel, not hear? Um, consequent, consequently, verse 17, faith comes from hearing Hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And he says, but I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. And then he quotes Psalm nineteen four: Their voice has gone out into all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. What is Paul getting at? See, David found this great satisfaction just in knowing the Torah and just having the first five books of the Old Testament. He didn't even have access to all 39 books of the Old Testament that we have today. He had the Torah. And if he found such satisfaction in these first five books of the Old Testament, How much more, as we, as new covenant followers of Jesus, who have the full revelation of God through the Old Testament and the New Testament, how much more should we find our satisfaction and joy in God's word? This word that Paul talks about in the context here in verse 17 is the word about who? About Christ. See, ultimately... This word is pointing to the word incarnate, Jesus himself. And to know God's word is to fellowship with Jesus, the fullness of who God is. And as we know Jesus, as we fellowship with him through his word, actually our delight, our satisfaction in God's word should even be greater than David's was. This is how our hearts should be more and more. And he found that Christ, he is the rock. He is the redeemer that we know that has come to us through his word. Are you in God's word and consuming it as if your soul was famished? As if this was the most, most satisfying meal? Dallas Willard, he is now deceased professor of philosophy at USC, very influential, influential Christian writer, and I really enjoy uh, Willard's thoughts, his writings about discipleship, and one thing that Willard, Dallas Willard talked about is he, he laments the state of modern-day Western Christianity, in a sense, to summarize, it's a mile wide but an inch deep. So we have sound bites of God's Word, we take snippets of things we hear hear, here and there. But to actually go deep in God's Word, uh, this was something that he lamented. And he actually likened Western modern day Christianity to what he felt was like Christians just taking a shower with a few drops of water. Could you imagine taking just a few drops of water for your shower, right? And that's how he felt. And he would, again, and there's much I have to learn from Dallas Willard, but he would, it was said of him that he would be constantly, constantly seeking to memorize God's word all the time. Like constantly being in God's word, but just in his spare time, uh, taking hours and chunks off just to, to immerse, or immerse himself in memorizing and meditating on God's word. This is who Dallas Willard was. And as disciples of Jesus, this is what we need. We need to have a daily uh, we need to have a daily intake but a consumption of the word of God. Some of us, the unspoken thing is this, I'm too busy. I don't have time. I've got family obligations. I've got work. um, You know, I've got all these responsibilities and stresses and, and all of these things, I just don't have time to be in God's word daily like this. But I might I will challenge you that the real issue is not whether we have enough time, the real issue is our priorities. It's our values. What do we worship? What is the value of our lives? Do we let these things drive and dictate our values? Or do we allow our values to dictate the way we spend our time and energy? And I might, I want to challenge you to think about what are the values that you will live by. If I were to challenge you and say, read the Bible through in one year, this year, Genesis to Revelation. Now some of you you've been Christians for a while and you haven't read the Bible through yet, I would challenge you, read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, try it in one year. When you hear that, some of you go, oh, that's, that sounds like a lot. In reality, do you know how long it takes to read the Bible in one year from Genesis to Revelation? If you read three chapters a day, you would complete the Bible in one year, just three chapters. And... Do you know how long it takes to read the Bible? Even if you read slowly. I'm a slow reader, right? I I really am. But it takes only about 70 hours total to read from Genesis to Revelation. How do I know that? Well, there's this guy who the audio Bible, when he reads the Bible and he's reading at a moderate Pace, not fast, just kind of moderate for for hearing, right? It takes 77 hours for for him from Genesis to Revelation if you just listen to uh, the Bible audio. 77 hours total. I think most of us read faster than we hear. So I would estimate that it may, even for a slow reader, take us only about 70 hours. What that translates to is this. In one day, if you average that out, it's 11 and a half minutes. If you just devote 11 and a half minutes a day to reading the Bible, you would actually read the entire Bible in one year. I think that sounds doable, right? That sounds realistic when you put it in those terms. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest something here to us. So, there's a Bible reading challenge. I should have actually brought the the, the actual thing. I thought about that during service. Oh, I should have printed this out, but oh well. Um, here's a here's a here's the uh, screenshot of it on PPT. It's called the F two hundred and sixty Bible reading plan. If you don't have a plan for reading through Scripture, I highly, highly suggest you go with a plan, right? Because we all are going to follow some plan, whether it's like my own, uh, today I feel like reading this, or today, you know, tomorrow I feel like, no, you know, the best thing is to read it systematically, to read it through. Well, this one right here uh, is very doable, two chapters a day, okay, two chapters, that's it, and starts from Genesis, and each week, there's only five readings. So that's only 10 chapters a week. So that means that you have two days to actually make up what you missed, if you missed some, right? I mean, how, how generous is that? And, uh, and if you, you know, were good about doing, going through it, then you have two days to just review or meditate more deeply on what you read. And then there's a couple of verses that you can memorize as well for that week. But I think this is very doable, very doable. And even if you, you know, yeah, even if you feel like, okay, I can only spend a few minutes versus, you know, if you, if you spend an hour, hour in your devotion every day with the Lord or an hour plus even, um, you know, you can, you can go through this and just go even more deeply. But honestly, 11 and a half minutes a day, Compare that to how much time we spend on social media. Ouch. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Netflix, right? Compare that. Isn't this 11 and a half minutes so much more precious? Can't we devote that much? Um, I would just really, again, I just want to throw this out there. If you are not in the habit already of doing this, Try spending 20 minutes a day just going into the Word of God in prayer, private worship of God. 20 minutes. Now, uh, if you feel like, oh man, you know, today I woke up late, I need to rush off to work. Well, instead of listening to that podcast, why don't you turn on the Bible audio app? Download the Bible audio. And put that on in your commute. It's a great way to spend time in your car. Uh, A great way to just take in God's word. And uh, next time, what I'm going to do is this. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about how we can do this. How do we engage God's word in such a way so that we are actually hearing from God? And... I wanna share with you very practical ways how do we actually hear from God. As you hear from God through his word, and as you are committed in your heart to being responsive to God, to knowing him, and to following what he says and reveals in his word, uh, God's word just comes out, and it will hit you like a lightning. It will strike you, it will. And you will find yourself meeting with the living God. And this word, as it goes deeply into you, this word will actually completely shape you from the inside. It will revive your soul. This is what the word of God will do. Spurgeon put it this way, but um, a Christian who is falling apart usually has a Bible that isn't, right? the Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to a Christian who isn't falling apart. And that's true. So, I hope that made sense. <laughs> you get it. Alright, let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for how precious your word is to us. That it is more precious than gold. That it satisfies our souls. And Lord, I pray that you would enable us as your people as followers of Jesus to center our lives upon you, Lord, through your word. Uh, that we would love your word, that, that we would take it in, that we would hunger for your word and allow your word to, to uh, shape our hearts before you, God. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.